Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We had a little issue with iTunes and the episodes getting up on there the last few weeks due to a uh, feed problem, but we're all set now. So just in case you missed us for some reason, we're back in your life again. You're welcome. So go to offtherecord.fm to stream episodes there or to check up with us on iTunes, listen, review, ask us a question, whatever. This was a very controversial week, uh, so we're just going to get into it right now after one bit of follow-up. Last week, Jesse and I talked about a new possible um, digital format from Apple uh, and U2, and you can I'll put in the episode uh, the show last week so you can catch up on it. But one listener asked a question about, I noted that Real Friends uh, had sold about 50% of their, uh, 50% of Real Friends' sales for their debut album has been from CD. Uh, and that surprised one listener because it is kind of shocking. And they asked how vinyl fit in there. They actually asked about that for Knuckle Puck, so I think they misheard me. But I can, I can answer for both bands. For Real Friends, we've sold about, um, we've sold several thousand vinyl records. So I would say that uh, vinyl for Real Friends counts probably just about a little under a quarter of the sales so far. Uh, Real Friends are a little different of a vinyl band compared to someone like Knuckle Puck, where a lot of Real Friends material came out on vinyl after the fact at the beginning. But um, when we started working with Knuckle Puck, both me individually and then with Bad Timing, it was very important to me to start the band off as a vinyl band right away. Uh, A lot of pop punk bands, I think, have the potential to be vinyl bands, but just aren't. And that's because vinyl doesn't get it pressed until later. But luckily, luckily with our knuckle puck releases, they've all sold out online within one day of going on sale, which is pretty awesome. So in terms of where um, where vinyl fits in there for knuckle puck sales proportions, I would say a solid half, a solid 50%. Um, I don't have exact numbers on that, but just knowing the amount of vinyl we've sold versus everything else, it's it's definitely a great amount. In terms of CDs for Knuckle Puck, um, The Weight That You Buried has, has done a bunch, um, but it hasn't been as prevalent as vinyl. There's just been a huge demand there. And and we'll see how it continues for the band's career as they put out a new EP and a first album and just how that ratio skews as their fan base gets bigger because who knows? Um, if Hopefully we get to the size of where Real Friends is in a year or two from now, maybe a lot more of their fans who are not their fans now will just want to buy a CD. But what's most important um, is just having the option to buy whatever you want, whether that's a CD, an LP, digital, or maybe even a cassette. <laughs> oh, and uh, there was one little more uh, piece of question on this follow-up, which was, at what point does it become viable for a small or local band to do a vinyl pressing? That's really hard to know. Um, it, it's really important, I would say, to really guesstimate correctly how many people would buy your record and how much touring you're going to do. If you tour and play a lot of basement shows or something like that, you're going to just get sales for your EP or 12-inch eventually. But vinyl is also really expensive, and unfortunately, pressing 300 is not nearly as cost-effective as pressing 500 or 1,000. So I would say wait not too long, but if you're really only just playing local shows once every other month, the vinyl's probably not worth it quite yet. That's it for follow-up. Jesse, what's our first topic? Our first topic is that Urban Outfitters claims themselves, we have to say that this is not substantiated, that their CEO is saying that they are now the world's biggest seller of vinyl records. I'm going to let you go first because I probably have nothing nice to say about this. And I think I think I saw you defending this a little bit more. So I'll wait till you defend it and then I'll um, show you how wrong you are. Okay. <laughs> I am a huge fan of this. I did a fist pump. When I read this news, I, I cheered. Um, I got a lot of flack for cheering. I also gave people a lot of flack for cheering. In the past few years, if, if you're a fan of labels and the music on labels from, um, like, let's say Run For Cover or Top Shelf or No Sleep or even Bad Timing, you'll notice that our records have more and more been in stock in Hot Topic. And you may hate Hot Topic. You may think it's gross. You may have never been to a Hot Topic. I've been to Hot Topic once in my life um, because I am not from a place where malls are uh, prevalent. So just because you don't go to Hot Topic doesn't mean a lot of people don't. And so what Hot Topic does for a label like, let's just say bad timing, is they'll buy 500 copies of Knuckle Puck's EP outright from us. And they'll pay, from that, they'll pay for that up front. 
And if we do a pressing of 1,500 records and Hot Topic buys 500 of them at a cost we set, then that may pay for well over 50% of the, of the pressing. And one, it's obviously great to have our records in stores and Hot Topics across the country. They have hundreds of stores across the country. And so that's great for distribution in a, in a highly condensed subsection of humanity that goes into these stores. And Hot Topic, if, they are, if they're going to take your records, there's a good chance they may sell T-shirts by you as well or play your music in stores. Knuckle Puck right now have one vinyl release, one T-shirt, and their music being played in Hot Topic store, in every Hot Topic store across the country right now. And we are not really a signed band. We're on Bad Timing Records, but we're not like fully signed. It's not like a, it's not like we're on hopeless records or something. That's just not what it is. And so that's an incredible thing for us. And then for a label, it's great to have financial stability in what you're doing. If you can count on Hot Topic to buy 500 or 1000 records from you, that helps everything else so much more and it's great. And how does that relate to Urban Outfitters? Well, Urban Outfitters is now, just like Hot Topic, expanding into vinyl, but they have even a larger footprint than Hot Topic does. And it's also a pretty cool footprint. You may go, ugh, Hot Topic, Vampire Core. You may also hate Urban Outfitters like Jesse does. That's not true. That's not true. Oh. No. Well, this is going to be such an interesting conversation. You may hate Urban Outfitters like the person next door in your classroom probably does, or like many people do, but... Uh, in terms of the aesthetic, it's obviously light versus dark when you compare it to Hot Topic. And that's great. That's a whole nother model of distribution, of audience, of anything. I actually had, I have a little note file of stuff I want to talk about on Off the Record. And something since May has actually been Urban Outfitters. And it, it just came into fruition now. And And what popped into my head is I had a meeting with my friend at Hopeless Records and he told me that hot uh, that hot topic was taking in a it's not sorry not hot topic that urban outfitters was taking in a bunch of taking back sunday stock and i was like whoa that's crazy and then i spoke to some other people and urban outfitters number one desired vinyl piece is deja and tundu by brand new and that's of course not in stock but it's just insane and so cool that to me uh, even beyond urban outfitters becoming the world's biggest seller of vinyl just in general so many, so much of our music in our world is now also being stocked in urban. I think that's so weird and great. Um, the if you walk into almost any urban outfitters with vinyl stock uh, with a vinyl catalog right now, I guarantee you that Alkaline Trio, that uh, Alkaline Trio's, what's it, Jesse Infirmary something. Infirmary. Uh, I'm not good with album names. Okay, well. One of Alkaline Trio's records is going to be on the stop. Is the one is going to be the front of one of their vinyl bins. Just it'll be, just be there, and you're going to walk in and you go, "What the hell is an Alkaline Trio record doing at the front of an of an Urban Outfitter store?" And that's kind of the intro to it, um, and that's part of why I like it. But why 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 are you not into it? All right, so we're going to have to get into some socialist theory here. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Sorry in advance. So there's two documentaries I want to recommend to everybody to watch um, if what I say interests you and you want to dig deeper on this. Um, one is called Walmart, The High Cost of Low Prices, and the other one is called The Corporation. They're both easily found on Netflix for when you're sitting around bored after you do what you do. So I should start off by saying this before I get all holier than thou. I shop at Urban Outfitters. I really like their socks. Pretty much my entire sock collection is from there in Uniqlo. Are they, are they long socks? Those Herschel bags are appealing to me. What kind of socks do you wear, Jesse? My favorite ones I got there recently have um, ramen on them because that's my favorite food. And then mm. um, my other one, favorite one, is uh, an American flag because I'm that patriotic. Wow. Um, I bought about six page pairs of each of those. I bought a Blink-182 American flag the other day. Are we both patriotic? I, I mean, you know, I'm, my opinion, we got to take this back from the Republicans for, for me. So I, I got to show them what's up, man. I drink my Budweiser with an American flag on it while I'm wearing my American flag socks. Hmm. So okay. by no means am I um, 
an Urban Outfitters hater. In fact, in my neighborhood, Williamsburg, which is fastly becoming corporatized, you know, we had a J. Crew open this weekend and I wanted to spit on it. But there's a bar in the Urban Outfitters here and I go there for laughs and drink and listen to music and have a hilarious time perusing through the vinyl. I like to see what's popular. I like to do this. But every time you shop here and buy your vinyl instead of at a local record store. Now, granted, there's the other thing is that most of the record stores are out of business anyway, so there's no choice here. But instead of buying, like, for example, like the Run for Cover store stocks, the 1975 record, and if you buy that vinyl instead of uh, here instead of there, there's a whole lot of bad things that happens. So for one, companies like Urban Outfitters, Best Buy, Walmart pay no local taxes ever. They have all these tax avoidance schemes. So once they come into your town, which starts happening, now I could also speak to this. The first suburban Urban Outfitters was in Montclair, New Jersey, where I grew up. I was literally three blocks from my parents' house. Um, so what starts happening is... Sounds terrible. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what starts happening, though, is instead of a mom and pop store so i worked at a the local punk store in montclair for example that did go out of business the tax dollars stop going into the community so the school gets worse the roads get depleted everything gets worse because the taxes are going into this large corporations pockets that are out of town instead of into a, a mom and pop store's hands that are then paying local taxes and paying into this so this corporatization, one, gets rid of some of the unique character that we have in our communities of having this cool local mom and pop store with employees who can tell you cool things to get and that are receptive and aren't just stocking. You know, you just talked about it, that Hopeless has meetings with them and they get them to carry us, whereas the local record store is like ear to the ground hearing that like knuckle pucks a cool band and taking that stuff in. And that's much more receptive and character filled. So... When you're supporting these things, it does put a drain on the system. Now, on the other side of the, the coin, I would say is um, that this is kind of a useless fight in many areas. Um, you know, my town here, we're, we're getting overrun by this bullshit. And I kind of just take it with a grain of salt and laugh while I'm buying my ramen socks so drinking a craft beer. So real, real so quick. That's my opinion on it is that, yeah. So Mike, this is uh, I, my friends run uh, that website Modern Vinyl, and and we got into a little discussion about it too. And and my my like real real thought on this is, you're, are you ever, like you Jesse? Are you ever going to buy that 1975 album in Urban Outfitters? I'm not talking about like the world. I'm talking about you. Here, here's an easy answer. Um, after a few drinks, I bought Lord Pure Heroin at Urban Outfitters. I'm you know, and this is why I say like. I take all this with a grain of salt, but I also want to say it to be intellectually honest, is that I had a few drinks. I'm like, you know what? I'd really like to know what this sounds like on my turntable. I love this record. And, you know, I had $30 sitting in my pocket and I did it because I wanted to do it for instant gratification. Now, the fucked up thing about that is, is that just on my walk home to my apartment, I probably passed three local mom and pop record stores and I'm sure one of them carried it. Um, some of them are too cool for Lord. Yeah, I'm somebody who buys vinyl, has at least bought one thing of vinyl at Urban Outfitters. You know, if you were a patriotic, straight-edge piece of shit, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> okay, oh, so that's like... It was that's not a, good that I decided to take a sip of juice that, uh, where you said that. Thank you. That was my moment of the week. Uh, <laughs> nice. So, putting you not being sober aside... I think it's a fair enough general assumption to assume that people like us, people that read my website or Absolute Punk or, or know what runforcoverrecords.com is, right? Like know what these websites are that sell vinyl online, the actual labels. Those people, those people are probably, and I know this is a general assumption, I don't see those people as being the same people that go into Urban Outfitters and buy, and buy a record blindly instead of pre-ordering it. I guess I'm interested in hearing from you what you think about then. I know you said it's 
just going to kind of happen, and it's maybe pointless to fight against yeah. it. But this is like fighting piracy on the internet. Like this right. is an inevitable thing we're going through. In our, and you know, there is a reverse trend. A town like Williamsburg, where I live, you know, we're getting lots of revolts against. Like right now, we are having a mass revolt against Starbucks trying to put a bar in, like an alcohol-serving Starbucks here. Whoa, really? You know, there's petition. Oh yeah, there's petitions. It's probably not going to happen. Like I haven't heard we're about having that at a all. huge, huge revolt against the corporatization of this neighborhood. And while I think the coastal part of this neighborhood is doomed, further out Williamsburg and Bushwick and Greenpoint is not having this shit. And uh, I think it's great. But for most of the country who aren't as far left hippy dippies, like you could argue that Williamsburg is probably one of the most progressive communities in America, barring like Eugene and Portland and, you know, some real hippie spots. We don't want this, a lot of us. Um but at the same time, that's not most of America. Most of America does not have the luxury of having, you know, I think there's something like nine record stores, right, uh, in a clump on the Greenpoint Williamsburg border, including the uh, Rough Trade store, which is like the size of a mall. So my my question to you then is, what do you think about me and Jeff Casaza saying, we're so happy that urban that Hot Topic exists and buys our vinyl? Sure. I mean, I hated Hot Topic when I was young, too, because it destroyed the record stores. That's great that you're happy, but, you know, one of the things that that we always have to talk about in these opinions is you guys are happy because you're also reaping. You're not the control group here. You guys get an immense reward from this. We do. Yeah. So who so who doesn't get a reward? Uh, I think that the consumer – so the consumer doesn't get a reward because – I should also say this. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I want all record stores to be gone because they don't help with the democratization of music and the internet does. The privilege of record stores and the granted access makes music a worse place in my opinion. So I say this, but I also say, say this, that if we're going to have record stores, I'd much prefer them to be even like Newberry Comics, a chain – much, much, much cooler than anything's better than the way Best Buy was. And thank God they're getting out of selling music almost entirely. Yes, they are. But uh, Hot Topic, like, yes, sure, there's a local buyer and they buy in things and they support the bands. But it's this much less character-filled, sterile shit environment that um, I just don't care for. And I find, you know, when you can go to a real cool record store that really knows its genre and, you know, does that, it's a much, much better thing. And, you know, I grew up, I was that record store clerk. I ran two different record stores and yes, I have a novelty for it, but I don't think that anybody who's had the privilege of going to even like um, vintage vinyl in central Jersey and like getting to talk to an employee who you see wearing a shirt of a band you like, and then asking for recommendations because this person's so knowledgeable, everything's out. Yeah, it's great, but I think also the internet has diminished the need for that a little bit. So I also see you and Jeff's side to it, even though I think your side to it comes because it lines your pockets better. That is completely why I side with it. But it also, that's the thing, it also lines my band's pockets better and Mm -hmm. helps our label grow. So that's the thing, like, I, I do fully get your point and that, like... I think most people can actually sympathize on both ends, right? Like, and that's that's kind of that's rare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's just and this is very transparent of me, but so uh, for the second pressing of Phantoms by Acceptance, Hot Topic bought five hundred copies. We print and we pressed a thousand for the second press. So they they bought half of the copies, and it in full paid off the uh, the costs of the whole second pressing which means the last 500 we sold online were pure profit for us. Incredible. Like, incredible for a label like us. That was our first ever release. It was a second pressing. It was the second pressing of a record, any record we ever did. And it bankrolled, like that alone bankrolled the first year of the label. And, you know, what's so exciting for me about Urban Outfitters now selling records is there's a slim chance in hell that they could they could help out bad timing too. And you know what? I sure as hell bet we're going to get them to help out Jade Tree. Mm. Um, because I bet some sh- shit that Jade Tree put out in the 90s would look pretty cool on Urban Outfitter shelves in between a Lord record and an Alkaline Trio record. And the, the other thing about this is, like, Urban Outfitters is the, probably today, in, is the biggest, is the most, is the, na- is the largest name brand clothing store for... I don't know. Millennials. Millennials. Yeah, that's that's the word. Millennials in the world. And so for vinyl to be getting into all these stores, that only means 
that more people are going to be getting into buying vinyl. And yes, Urban Outfitters sells terrible Crosby record players that ruin your vinyl. Ugh. It was the first record player I ever got from my parents. And I don't know, it's in a, tra- it's in a land dump now somewhere. But you know what? It got me to buy a really expensive record player and buy a lot of vinyl and then start a record label. This is a good thing to me because it signals hope that the vinyl is going to continue building and growing. Um, well, I th- and I think that's it's- good for everyone, I think. Yes, and I agree with you on all those points. I think it's just about values. And if you, since I'm not somebody who really values the record store still existing, I don't have to be ethical about this, but like... I think that it's a great point that one of the things I think is so interesting, I walk into an Urban Outfitters anytime I have time to kill because I just like to understand what's going on with culture. And that vinyl section gets bigger every time I walk into one around New York. Not just like a little bit, but like a lot. Like even the one in Williamsburg has already grown. And that store has only been open like six months. So it's clearly helping and they're clearly doing great with it. I mean, you know, the Whole Foods in Brooklyn just started selling vinyl. It's Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, if they start doing that in every one of them, because, you know, where there is Whole Foods, there is hipster culture. I don't know if that's going to go to everyone and that Whole Foods is massive. Um, right. I agree that that's all a good thing and you got to get a gateway drug somehow. Not everybody gets into crass before they get into Green Day. That does not a thing that happens. You get into. You think I'll ever hear a crass song? I'll never hear a crass song. You, you're lucky. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's terrible music, but great Are they lyrics. the one with that weird jacket that's like 300 bucks in Urban Outfitters? You ever see that? I think that was. Uh, that was either crass or con- it was no, it wasn't conflict because I actually did, did recorded conflict. I don't remember that. I got mad street punk cred, yo. Ooh. Thing I'd like to instill on this conversation that I haven't seen people pointing out is it's like this is a decision you make every day, and it does affect things. And if you care about having the cool guy who will tell you what to do, like the same way Netflix out, out uh, what do you call it, obsoleted blockbusters, if you care about somebody giving you cool recommendations and you don't care about just getting them from the internet, every time you choose to buy vinyl at Urban Outfitters, that's not really the best thing you could be doing if you really value that. And uh, it's the same thing with Amazon, too. Like, every time, I'm, I'm somebody who gives a lot of money to Amazon. I, think I spent $300 on Amazon this weekend instead wow. of my local mom-and-pop store. But that's the thing is Amazon gives me a convenience, and I've made that judgment and uh, but that's a judgment that we should all be conscious of. Like I know people like to say, like I'm not political, and this is a political decision, and you make it every day of your life, whether you like it or not. That's American life. Get used to it. I think that's a good, good way to end. Nice. So now we get to get to the uh, topic that makes me want to slam my head against the wall. I don't know where you're going to end up on this compared to why, where I am, and I am nervous. So go. Let's see. So, Thursday or Friday, Joyce Manor sent off a string of tweets, essentially being like showcasing that at this show, at, their, at the tour that they're currently on in support of their new album, that at almost every date of the tour, um, someone has gotten pretty badly hurt. And all of those someones have typically been uh, young women uh, getting hurt by stage divers that are either big dudes or just kind of uh, ignorant to general safety and are just falling poorly on um, on mostly young women. And Joyce Manor sent off a string of tweets about how um, it's really not okay. They're absolutely not okay with it. And if you're going to be stage diving, you should either not come to their shows or just get it through your head that that's not something you're going to be doing at their shows. This created a lot of controversy because stage diving goes pretty hand in hand uh, in, most, in a lot of people's mind, whether you do stage dive or not in the punk culture. Me personally, it it does go hand in hand. I don't stage dive, but when I think of stage diving, I don't think of a Rihanna show. I think of a punk show. Um, Whether I think it's right or not, that's just kind of how I associate it. Um, So the next day, uh, people got really riled up, and one of someone went to their show in, I want to say Houston, and um, purposely like tried to stage dive in a pretty let's just say ignorant way and and like and and ended up in a situation where he got very much shamed on stage with uh frontman Barry Johnson quote calling him a patriotic straight edge piece of shit uh, and that that's all we knew at first and then it became clear someone found the stage diver's twitter handle 
And it was clear that that person was going to that show with intent to rile the band up and to cause kind of a shit fit, which did occur. To, to troll the band. To troll should, the band. We should and, say. And, this, and you read this kid's Twitter account, and he is yeah, a professional insane. troll. Like, he has yeah. 400 followers, 18,000 tweets that are just troll-worthy and retweeting the other people who like his trolling. Just insane. and yeah. um, Awful existence. And, yeah. And beyond that... So beyond that, um, the why he why Barry said patriotic. There was like a lot of a ton of criticism, and frankly, like rightfully so, over the words uh, Barry from Joyce Manor used to kind of uh, freak out at the kid, and and why he said patriotic. I suppose was because uh, the this, the troll shirt had the words "Born Free" on it, which was his own band T-shirt. You know, you're not supposed to wear a Joyce Manor shirt to a Joyce Manor show, but you certainly are supposed to wear your own band's T-shirt. <laughs> wow. So uh, that that is, and then so after that, a lot of drama got stirred up. Basically, everyone was freaking out at Joyce Manor. Then Joyce Manor released a statement, and about how they went a little too far at that um, at that troll, but at the same time, they really still don't want people stage diving at their shows. So I think stage diving is dumb, and one of the worst things about stage diving is it gets venues shut down. It's a stupid activity. I get moshing. I get pogoing. I get jumping around. Like, we want to have these reactions to music. Stage diving, to me, is not really one of the ones that I think is a highly emotional experience that needs to be had with music. It's also really bad for bands. Bands get their fucking teeth knocked out and all sort of bloody noses from the mic stands going in their faces, kicked in the face. When Man Over was playing small shows, I had to do that dumb thing where you have to keep the stage divers off stage and push them aside. It's, it's, the, it's the worst. It is the worst. The personal story I'll just tell is like, um, so in 1998, I did this, what's called legendary to old people, um, festival called the New Jersey Hardcore Fest. Um, the lineup was, I mean, we had like Kid Dynamite, Saves the Day, Dillinger Escape Plan, Piebald, Boy Sets Fire, Converge, Los Crudos, all play over like in, and you know, the scene was so small then that this was only a 2,500 person show, which is hilarious because now it'd be insane. But during Piebald's set, while they were covering Living on a Prayer, somebody stage dove like an asshole. And we're talking like, this is a three foot high stage with no bouncers and we're in a VFW hall. They land on this girl's head. Basically, I had to, she thought she had a concussion. I had to beg her to not sue us and get things shut down and, you know, do it. Um, ironically, she became my best friend after this, and it wasn't just me kissing her ass to not sue me. This has shut down so many venues, the in, uh, the injuries from it, and I just think it's a stupid activity. And the other thing I'll say is the fight against this is so old. Like, you know, Fugazi famously would not allow moshing or stage diving and would do the same thing. They would stop mid-song in their set and complain about it all the time back in the day. And this goes back to the early nineties. So people are getting a little up in arms about this is a little ridiculous to me, but uh, you know what? I applaud Joyce Manor for being one of the few bands. Every band is so af afraid to offend and say anything that might be offensive to their audience and might be off putting their concert ticket sales today. I applaud them for um, having the balls to do so. Even if, um, they probably should not have called him a patriotic, strange piece of shit. Yeah, there's, there's like no doubt um, he went too far. Yes, um, and and to and like I, I, I don't excuse him at all for it. Like he really fucked up. Like mm. there's just that's like that's kind of all of it. Like he just fucked up. But where I can sympathize is I think the band has been in a really uncomfortable mental state for the entire tour where. I mean, this is something I'll never experience ever, but I imagine playing a show and you finishing your set and you walking outside to load out and you see a girl getting carted off in an ambulance mm -hmm. and that happening at least 10 times on one tour and every single time it's a young girl. Like, you're going to... Like, that, that, that's just going to take a mental toll on you. There's no way around it. And I, I think seeing all the backlash that they got when they asked people not to stage dive, just set them over the limit, right? And, like, what 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 clearly happened is he just burst. And he burst in the wrong way, and it's not acceptable. But mm -hmm. 
I can, I, I would hope that most people, and it's unfortunately clear that most people actually cannot sympathize in this situation with the fact that you're, you're out there like trying to put your art out, trying to tour, trying to do whatever your reason for touring is. And you're seeing people every night get hurt. And at the end of the day that like, he's probably thinking my music is the root cause of this. And that like, that is something that I can't imagine how rough that is, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, and listen, you know, I, I sympathize. I, I think we live in a culture where people all have bad moments, but they now have them on YouTube and our worst moments we get judged by. I'm sure a lot of his frustration, just as like when we have a fight with our significant other, we sometimes say things we wish we didn't say. I, I'm sure he probably thinks he would have spoke a little bit better if he could, but I think what's more interesting though is it's just like do bands have the right to control their environment like i think this is like a very big thing that we're about to see a big change in because like i even think about like how the yeah yeah yeahs ask people to not use their phones and same thing with like one of my favorite artists sophie asks the same thing it's like don't take pictures we don't want your camera up definitely not your ipad up i think that there should be a curation for that and i like i appreciate if um this is how we get changes in a scene is like, you know, if everybody start, if all the bands start to say, you know what, I don't want stage diving at my shows, and maybe not all, but like if a lot of them do it, that creates a scene and it also creates people pushing back on bands. If most of us don't want that, other bands will be pressured into saying the same thing. It's the same thing. With, like, I hate the phone up at the concert thing. I absolutely abhor that. And like... I would love to see more bands push back on it, but sadly, you know, most bands don't have um, even the tiny balls it takes to do any of this pushback. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's probably no really good way to do it, right? Like, I don't like it has to start somewhere, and the unfortunate thing is there's so much loudness about this. Like this will this is now fully tied to Joyce for the rest of their career, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It got real. Like there were seven hundred comments on a weekend thread on Absolute Punk. Like that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's out there now. Um, so I, I'm I'm fully with you. I didn't actually think we were going to line up on this, but yeah. Like if if that's not what you want at your shows and it's actually hurting people, it sounds pretty legit. It sounds pretty fair to me. And I I don't know how you can really argue with that. And yeah, like. The, again, like the band should not have said what they said live at that show. But even the day before that, when all they did was ask and tweet, like for people not to do that, um, people like lost it at them. And I just, yeah, I get you want to go to your show and you want to stage dive and whatever and you want to crowd surf. But do you want to do that uh, in trade for potentially hurting someone very badly? It, it sounds to me. Or getting a venue shut down. Yeah, to me, it, it sounds like the most point blank thing and the most obvious thing. And it's it's like continuously surprising to me that apparently it's not obvious at all. I think the thing about our society is, is this is actually part of the process about how we make rules and how change happens is we all figure out what the majority of us agree on. And there's going to be some people who still don't agree. And what's great about it is something like this is if you still want to stage drive, I'm sure the majority of the morons who go to like, you know, hate breed shows or whatever that crap these mooks listen to, and you want to stage dive, go. I'm sure there's still going to be bands that sound like that, that have that. Go there, but I'm sorry. Like, if you're trying to be the troll who stage dives at Joyce Manor or like, you know, a super emo band's show, it's just not going to be there for you anymore if we all decide against it, and you're going to have to deal with that. And I think that's a great part of democracy, and it's a great part of what... I'm going to be a patriotic piece of shit right now. It's part of what makes America great. Oh, boy. My dad's going to love that. (laughs) And I I just also want to throw in, like, you know, Joyce Manor is one of these bands where they will... um, Like, they they would stop touring. Uh, Like, I, I have no doubt that Joyce Manor would actually stop touring if it just continues to be out of control. And, you know, you, sh- you should think about that, too, uh, you random person X that is really through the roof mad at Joyce Manor right now. Like, is it worth the trade-off to hurt someone? Is it worth the trade-off to get a venue shut down? Is it worth the trade-off to have a beloved band stop touring because they don't feel comfortable uh, putting people at risk? Yeah. Uh, so we, we have some listener questions that we're just going to run through um, until we hit time. First one is for you. 
So the first one asks, Jesse, can you make a recommendation for some mid-range money-wise gear for my stereo setup? I'm using a U-turn audio turntable currently, but was looking to upgrade the rest of my setup. Pre-up and speaker recommendations specifically, looking to spend less than a thousand total, $250 to $500 range for pre-ups, 200 to 400 for speakers. So that is tough because um, that is not a price point I deal with. And <laughs> so I'm just going to give the the best recommendations I can. Great quote. Uh, I mean, you, you know, some of us are more baller than others, dog, you know. Oh um, <laughs> for speakers, I really like Yamaha's powered line. Um, I think they're called the Yamaha HS8s. And whatever gets into that price point, um, those are great sounding cheap speakers. Um my ultimate recommendation, if you can want to put the full thousand dollars to that, is Jetelec 1030s, um, which are the speakers I use. I mean, like a lot of producers use them, like Steve Evitz, me, Ross Robinson. I think I saw Will Yip uses them. Like this is what most of us use to make records and what we like to listen to music on. Those are great speakers if you want to up your musical enjoyment. Um, for preamps, this is another hard one. Uh, the Music Hall preamp, though is uh, an exquisite, exquisite preamp, and I think that falls in your price range if you get it on the right outlet. I think like eBay, I usually see them for about $250. The other thing I recommend is getting like a decent monitor switcher. Persona's monitor station has pretty damn transparent uh, electronics that can really uh, make this go over. And then I'll also say, even though it wasn't asked, uh, the Music Hall turntable line are the best uh, affordable turntables that are, you know, until you get into the like multi thousand dollar range, uh, they are the best ones. They're just super, super amazing and true to the record process. That's what I use to analyze vinyl when I get test presses. I'm actually in uh, soon within the next few months. I will have a similar conversation with you. Great, can't wait. You can just pick my you can just pick my second record player collection out for me. Nice, nice. Gotta gotta have. I don't have one in Philly, which we went through this on an earlier show. But now, now that we're moving into a bad timing office, and I have a, I have a office set up. I want, I want another player. Yeah, you, you, you should get that so you, that you seem like a major player when they come over to the office. <laughs> Next question. Uh, anonymous user X asked, "I went to university to study music for four years, but now I feel like I would rather be in a band management or working in marketing in some form." Is there any steps I should be taking to diversify my career? My degree made me fall out of love with the guitar. That's a bummer. Mm. I don't think that's a bummer. That's a good thing. Why? Because some people, if you're the type of person who guitar isn't that passionate, like you got to remember that guitar is most people's biggest passion. If you like business more than guitar, hallelujah. That's, That's a very rare thing. So take that passion and run. Fair enough. I'm in the same boat. I wish I played guitar more than I do, but I don't have time to, which is a bummer. But we, we've talked about this before on some of our first episodes, and it, it's the shittiest answer in the world. And the answer is you just got to do it. <laughs> well, it's you got to do it or get or shift your degree to general marketing and general business because that's the best degree you can get. Yeah, we you did Random person acts. You did not leave where you were from. So for all I know, you were from Boise, Idaho, which would be a bummer. But if you're not, <laughs> if you're not from there, and there are or there are bands that you love, or there are bands that you don't love, but could maybe use help in marketing in your local area, maybe try to contact them, maybe see what you can do, maybe talk to venues in your area if if you uh, if you have venues in your area to see what they need for better promotion, both uh, like in in the physical world, if that means hanging posters up places or just better online promotion, see what you can do. Tell them that they suck and they should be doing a better job and then you actually do a better job. Um, That is my recommendation for that. You just got to... It's tough, but I, I think what you need to do is what anyone needs to do is you need to look at something and if it's bad say how it could be good and if it's good say how it could be better and then and try to figure out how to do that. That's great advice. The other thing I'll say is though you did cheap bet you like bands being local. Um, as we talked about on the last episode, it's not always about the band being local too. Because as we said, we managed bands that did not live in the same city as us at all. And uh, find someone good to work with. Listen, search through tags on Bandcamp, and just start getting out there and doing smart things. And a follow up, which is not 
which is a different question, but <laughs> relates very uh, closely to this is someone says that uh, they want to get involved in their local scenes, but most of the bands really, really suck. And they want to help promote music, but they don't know if it's uh, hypocritical to promote music that they don't enjoy or think it's bad. Um, so should that person stick to promoting the few bands they actually enjoy or just promote the whole scene in general as it ultimately benefit the good bands? Um, oh, and your name is Letitia. Uh, I would say just not only do I think promoting the full scene does better for all the bands, but it also does better for you. You never know where that person in a terrible band ends up in three years when they become a really successful band for whatever reason, or that person now mm -hmm. then becomes a booking agent or a manager or whatever. There's um, helping people out as long as they're not in a band like blood on the dance floor, like just because you don't love the music <laughs> um, people in bands where you don't like the music can actually turns out often be pretty good people. I'm friends with tons of people in bands that I never, ever listen to, um, but they're good dudes or good girls or whatever. And uh, it doesn't hurt to have a good relationship with them. So ultimately in a situation like that, I'd say do your job the best you can do your job and, and make good relationships. I, I would agree. Um, I think that the one thing is, is that if you're just promoting things you're not passionate about, you're not going to do it a bunch and it's not going to do much good anyway. I would concentrate on how you could promote those bands that you love as much as possible. But yeah, if you want to do, you know, like with Man Overboard, we used to do those Defend Pop Punk uh, mixtape compilations and not everybody would be passionate about all the bands on there um, involved. And, you know, but we took it for the greater good and, you know, you'd... Uh, sit there and say, okay, well, this one person in the band is really passionate about this, but, you know, all in all, most of us were pretty passionate about 75% of the bands and we wanted to just do right about it. And I think that's the thing is, is yes, you take the good with the bad, but why not just concentrate on the bands you really love, pushing them with most of your time and then every once in a while doing something nice for everybody else. Cool. Uh, next one is a lot, of, a lot of questions, a lot of good questions. If you have a question, go to offtherecord.fm and either email us or just leave us something in Tumblr. This is a question that we've touched on here and there, but um, talk about how labels work and what good ones do to stay relevant. Rise Records is the biggest one that comes to mind when it comes to labels that are smart and know how to run a good business. And they give, and they give bands the right amount of attention and push. Uh, staying relevant is... Hard. You need to have a good ear. You need to like w one thing that Rise Records did that sticks with everyone is uh, in the December of 2010 they announced three signings that they called what the hell signings or what the fuck signings. I don't remember. Um, and they went from having only metalcore bands like Attack Attack or The Devil Wears Prada to suddenly having pop punk bands and punk bands. And we still see that today. We're about half the labels metalcore and half the label ranges from legacy punk to pop punk stuff. And that was a major branding out moment for the label. And that opened them up to 50% of the music scene within this music scene. Yeah, and Epitaph, we should also say for historical sake, this was kind of the move they took from Epitaph of like Epitaph used to kind of have a sound and they'd do those punk comps in the 90s and all the bands would sound the same and then all of a sudden they started branching out and they are the Epitaph we know today where you could have Escape the Fate, Joyce Matter, and the Benzigers all on the same label. Totally. Yeah, and yeah, we definitely see that with Epitaph right now where they are just deciding to own the entire scene. Uh, they are signing everyone. If you are a band and you're not signing to Epitaph, I just don't know who you are. <laughs> and, and it's also the thing, too, is that there's also Anti, which is the same office and just basically a different label on there for they're even more, you know, having Nico Case, Tom Waits and all these other bands like it's it's very, very out there. Yeah. And, and, and just in terms of good business. Be like labels that are honest are typically good um, labels that can pay royalties are typically good where you don't have to ask for what you should be getting anywhere. There's sort of a base requirement for any label, and if they're not doing that job, that's a bummer. If they're doing more than that, that's a good home. If they're looking out for you, if they're making sure that your tours can do better, not just your music. Like So much goes into it, and I'm learning so much of that right now with as bad timing grows, but also as J-Tree was something much more established, what, what, that record need, what that label needs to do on day one for a band versus what bad timing can hopefully do for a band three, weeks, uh, three years from now or three months from now. Um, it, it's different for every label because every label is, is certainly different, but labels that 
labels that view you as a team or, or labels where you can view them as a team are just like are those are the best. Yeah, I, I think that there's an interesting thing too to see with most of the good labels is it's good curation and innovative business decisions. Is that like you know you see any of these labels that are on the rise, whether it's Run for Cover, or Rise. Um, wow, that was a bad pun. Um, you know, they're doing interesting things with marketing, YouTube, whatever, and they're staying current. The other thing I would say, too, is is like I, I was having this discussion the other week with somebody that 15 years ago in the music business, a lot of the people who were like what we would call party boys or party girls who were kind of like these vacuous bimbos who had some decent taste in music but would be out all the time at all the social events were always the people who were kind of winning the music business. But now it's kind of funny as I'm seeing you're seeing a lot more like nerds who are getting weird because it's becoming a lot more about smart choices and doing hard work and like working every day and not being like, oh, I'm not going to the office. I did too many lines last night. It's, you know, the nerds like Zach. Like me. <laughs> I was doing too many lines. <laughs> I'm saying, though, you're 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 not the party boy. You're social and you're doing great in it. And it's like I think it's a funny thing of that. It used to be that thing of like you are not the profile. It used to have to be that you were out at the cool dance party doing lines with all the people who are also in the music business. And that's who got ahead. And I'm just I'm seeing a big trend that that person does not get ahead in the music business anymore. Definitely. And that's great. That's right. Nice. Yes, I agree. I, I I don't love the party boy. Is that your is that democracy? I, I think actually that's the um, the geek shell and her hair at the earth thing. Uh, yeah, that's just true. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know what? We we got we actually got a question on Twitter that's very similar. This so I think we should address to circle. His name is Pete Zeng. Zenger, Zenger, uh, I should know this. I'm from Jersey, but I can't pronounce this last name. He's from a band called Picture Perfect, it looks like. And he asked, hey, dudes, love the podcast. If you could do an episode on how medium-sized bands can move up, that'd be sweet. Well, I don't know that that would take up an episode, but I think the biggest thing I see when bands kind of stall out around the, like, let's call it, can do 50 people in a couple different cities to 150 people in a couple different cities, Mark, and haven't really gotten that booking agent yet or the label backing they have is that they've been putting their eggs in one basket. They're really good at promoting online, but they haven't started putting up stickers or gotten their T-shirt game down. And um, one of the concepts I talk about in my book is um, you have to do everything all the time, that you really have to have all of the things set up. And like one of the things like with my book being 750 pages, it's like you have to be doing all those things to get somewhere. Like, you know, you have to be on top of your YouTube game and making videos just as you have to be on top of your merch game and having great t-shirt designs. And my biggest thing is, is if like you feel a little stalled, it's figure out how you put more time into doing more diverse things. And that's usually like, you know, if I was having to write a, prescription for a patient i don't see that's the prescription i would write yeah and it's hard to obviously be efficient at all those things but uh what's nicer and nicer i I think not every band gets this unfortunately but what's nice about uh band younger classes of bands now coming up is just that there's a chance that if you have four or five people in a band that some of those people are going to have specific talents at multiple things and uh, like Knucklepuck, Joe and Knucklepuck is really good at graphic design stuff. So he handles everything for the band when it comes to setting up tour graphics or announcement graphics or whatever. And, and that that helps not only save you money, but also makes everything in-house and, and makes everyone feel like they're doing more and are benefiting everyone else more. And so, yeah, you, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. But if, if you have people in your band that can do good things like don't feel the need to do it for them. You do something else if they can do something efficiently, like act as a unit. Yeah, I think that the, the, another one of the other great ways to put it, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, is that the more things you can do for your band that free up your manager to do real things that you can't do, um, the more progress you make, the more people who are doing the work. Like, you know, one of the things we used to say about Man Overboard, and I really felt this was true, is that for a lot of the time when they were coming up in the pre-rise days, that... Between Justin, me, and Jeff Casaza, uh, there was never an hour of the day somebody wasn't working on that band. Right. 
and that that's just great. Like, and and being able to put so much in, you really do see. I mean, unless something is just like crazy wrong, you really, you really do see the benefits more times than not. I would say. Yeah, I mean, if you have terrible music, it's going to be for naught. But if you're halfway decent, you're working that hard, and you're allocating your time to working on your band instead of working on your Call of Duty game, and like you know whatever internet girl you're trying to score with or guy, whatever internet person you're trying to score with on Tinder, you're going to, you're going to see results from that extra time you've put in. If it's smart time, not just doing the same thing you're comfortable with, get out of your comfort zone, do something different than you've been doing. There's probably something you're neglecting, whether it's internet radio, your t-shirt game, or something cool you can be doing on YouTube. So that looks like that's about our time. So you want to do a recommendation? Oh, yes. Let's do that. Uh, I'm only now recommending things that relate to me and my wallet. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Modern Baseball and Knuckle Puck announced a tour today, uh, which means, and today is Monday, the 29th of September. It's a fall tour from November uh, November 11th to, I think, uh, December 15th. It goes to many places except Canada and the North Northwest. I'm um, really excited about it. Crying and Somos are on it. Also, Knuckle, uh, not Knucklebuck, also, well, also uh, Foxing, Hostage Com, and Walter Mitty. Um, I've been working on putting this tour together with the rest of the modern baseball team since May. Um, and this was a really hard one to keep quiet. So. Please, uh, please come out. I am going to be on the West Coast leg of the tour because I want to go uh, and see 924 Gilman. And I'll also be on the East Coast leg of the tour. Um, please, please commend me on being punked, Jesse. I, 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 when I saw that this morning, I was like, I can't believe you're going to Gilman, man. That is so punk of I'm you. So stu- when, yeah, when we saw the routing, I was like, yo, we got to go. Um, yeah. So a no-brainer for me. I, like, I, I, so cool. I used to live right there, so, so I went a bunch and saw tons of dirty punk bands there. So my recommendation is um, probably very predictable, as usual for me, is uh, something to watch instead of listen to. The show Transparent, which is Amazon's first kind of everybody's like, wow, this is Amazon's moment where they start to become a Netflix. Transparent is Jeffrey Tambor, who was the father on Arrested Development, as a parent who's deciding to get a sex change late in life and his three hipster kids and how they're dealing with it. Just as Pulp Fiction and Clerks was like a moment where people had to step up their game with dialogue and get better at it. And then like Six Feet Under was like a moment where like, and The Sopranos like where characters got more real on television. This show is a moment where characters get even more real and the writing, dialogue, and directing on this show is just out of this world good. And even if you're like a weird transgender thing and you're, that's not your bag, if you just like good characters, this show is just unbelievable. I watched the whole thing this weekend and it's, you know, it's 20 minute episodes, so that wasn't hard. It's 10 episodes. But like, man, that was one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. Oh, wow. I guess I will check that out too. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo. And our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.